welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Today we're looking at this calling that God has placed on each of our lives to be in a community of believers, in the community of the redeemed. And one of the things I've noticed over, you know, hundreds of conversations with people both inside and outside of the church uh, is that people have an experience of Jesus. Many people know Jesus. They know the head of the church. Uh, but they have a hard time with the body of the church, the people of the church. And so they have kind of a disembodied experience of Christianity. They know Jesus, but they don't really know the rest of the story. They don't really know God's people. And their experience of being a Christian is very isolated and apart from other things. And today I want to show you in the scriptures what God has in mind for this, that God desires to gather us together into an intimate community of people who who know him and proclaim him to the world. And so the first thing I'd like to do with you today is just kind of survey some of the scriptures as we look together uh, from what the scripture says. And I kind of want you to just observe, does it make sense that the, that the church is described as individuals, or does it make sense that the church is described as a community? And so I think it won't be a surprise that we'll see community, but I just want to walk you through this to see some of this language that is used. This is from the book of Ephesians, and what I want you to see here is that the, the sin or the effect of sin is isolation from God and one another. So here's what he says. He's talking to Gentile believers coming into the church. He says, remember that you were at that time before Christ separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Later, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. And so notice that the way he describes the problem, that before they were in Christ, they were alienated, right? They were strangers to God. They were strangers to the covenant people of God. They were outsiders. And he says this is a description of life before Jesus, is alienation from God and his people, right? But this is the good news. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once off have been brought near by, can you read it with me? The blood of Christ. So a picture of the gospel here is that you who were outsiders who were far away now are insiders or brought near because of the blood of Jesus. He goes on to say this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And so I just want you to see this picture of what the scripture is describing as the gospel. 
that the gospel is that people were scattered, they were isolated, they were alienated, and now because of Jesus, they are insiders, they are included, they are fellow citizens, full standing before God and members of God's house. And so you see that this, the gospel brings us to a collective mentality and understanding of who we are in Christ. This is what Jesus says to us, actually to his disciples. We read it today. But he says, this is my commandment that you love. Can you read it? One another as I have loved you. That within the church, he's talking to his disciples directly. Within Jesus' disciples, there's a command that you cannot fulfill as a solo. Right? You cannot fulfill this command if you do not have other disciples to love. Make sense? He says you should love one another. And he defines that love. He says greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Meaning that our call in the church is to love one another. And what that love looks like is laying down our life. Is being servants as Christ has served us. And so there's a picture of what it means to be a saved person and Jesus is saying, my, my saved people, they love one another. They lay down their lives for one another in love. First Peter that we've been reading in our opening uh, verses in our sermon series, uh, he says this. Can you read it with me? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Just notice, there is no Lone Ranger Christians in this picture right? No one's doing this alone. Every description of the people of God are a united people. They have a purpose together. They have a a label, right? You are a chosen race. Isn't that interesting? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that God possesses. And this is their purpose, that they would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So there's a people with a purpose. And here it says this. Let's read this together too. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Isn't that beautiful? So again, the picture of the gospel that we get is not one of individual salvation. And I'm stressing this because this is what we have tended to think about when we think about I'm saved. Right? If you think I'm saved, it means I'm going to be with God means I, you know, I am going to heaven. And that's what it means to be saved. And this has been our mentality for a long time. And you know what? Americans love this mentality, don't we? Because we love to be individuals and it's, we're all about it. But in the gospel, the gospel says you are saved not to be individuals, but you are saved to be a holy people, a holy people. Um, and so here's the truth that I want you to, to grasp today. That you are called to be holy, and I'm going to define that, and you cannot be holy outside of God's community. You can't. So, first of all, we need to think about what this word holy means. Um, And holy, generally, in your mind right now, very likely, what you have in your mind is someone who is morally upright. A holy person is kind of like a guru who is morally upright, and that's how who you have in your mind. You might have your, you know, your grandma in mind, right? Or your grandfather, a holy person, right? 
But actually, holy is different than that. Holy does not mean morally upright uh, in the Bible. Holy means set aside for God's purposes. And that's about as simple as it, it gets. Set aside for God's purposes. So in the Old Testament, when God uh, called his people out of Israel, when he chose Abraham and all his descendants to be a holy people, in the book of Deuteronomy, before Moses died, he gave this great sermon to the people of God, and he reminded them that God had chosen them to be holy not because they were so morally upright, not because they were so beautiful, not because they were so cool, not because they were so wealthy or had so, so many numbers, but God called them and chose them because he loved them. That's what it says. That the reason God made them to be holy, the reason they had the label of holy upon them, was not because of their moral achievements or their life skill, but rather because God had loved them and chosen them. And so to be holy means that you have been chosen by God and included in his purposes. That's what holy means. And so if we are to be holy people in the church, it's not, it, none of us are going to do that solo. It's impossible. You cannot be a holy person by yourself because a holy nation is what you're called to. And to be holy means you're set aside and set aside with others for God's purposes. Remember, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, the way that we are holy is the way that we interact with one another in the church. That's the way that we are holy. And so, if you want to be holy, the only option is to be in the community of believers to be holy together. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. Do you remember this? And he says, you know what? If you have a light, no one puts a basket over a light, but rather puts it on a, a lampstand so that the whole house can see. And similarly, you are a city on a hill. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, Jesus' followers are to be a holy community that live and act so differently that they illuminate the rest of the world. So that the world, as they struggle with anxiety because of the specter of this disease, as they struggle with all of the, the pains of this life, as they struggle with the meaninglessness of life without God, they should look to the community of the church and they say, those people treat each other differently, right? They serve each other with a selfless love. The way they interact with one another is appealing. It's, it's contagious, right? It's illuminating, and it draws people in. You remember in the description of the people of God in Acts chapter 2, the people of God had favor with, all, with God and with man, and God was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And so to be holy is to be set aside, uh, all looking forward to Christ and following his commandment, which is to love one another. And so for, with the rest of our time, as we see this teaching, I want to ask you two questions 
to, to reflect on this and maybe bring up some of the things that uh, challenge us as we seek to be holy together. And the first question is this, uh, do you expect to find the mercy of God in his holy people? I mentioned earlier, many people have an experience of Jesus, right? And the experience of Jesus is a good one, right? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. That sounds good, doesn't it? So the experience that we have had of Jesus, we should be able to find in the people of God. But I want to submit to you that this takes faith, and also that there is a particular challenge to this. And the one challenge that I have is that we are afraid of one another. At the reason we don't come fully into the church to be known by each other is we are afraid of one another. I remember when I was uh, going through seminary and I was just starting, believe it or not, if you know enough pastors, you know that pastors are really insecure people. (laughs) Um, It's just true. They're just like everyone else, but pastors are so insecure, they think, I'm going to go solve my problems by reading the Bible a lot, right? (laughs) But what you find out is you get into this group of people and they're just like anyone else. They're just as insecure. They're just as afraid to be known. Uh, They're just as, uh, have a lack of confidence, just like everyone else in in certain aspects of their life. And in my life, when I was at the seminary, I was insecure because I just always felt like an outsider and an imposter. Because I always felt like I didn't know enough or I didn't know enough Greek or Hebrew. I didn't study hard enough. And so I was always worried that the professor's going to find me out, right? You kind of feel that way when you're in classes, don't you? Professor's going to find me out, figure out that I'm a phony. But also I I felt this this, uh, alienation towards other people as well and other seminarians because I kind of felt like they were going to maybe find me out as well. And so I do what I did, uh, reflecting on this, I was doing what most men do when they meet new people. They just immediately go, uh, assessing the threat, assessing the threat, threat level three, threat level four, right? And we do like shields up like Star Trek. But you know, women do this too for different reasons. Uh, but there's this anxiety, this, this, this shield that we put up uh, thinking that we're going to protect ourselves from being found out. Now, here's, here's the issue, right? We should be afraid of God as humans, shouldn't we? As far as his judgments, are you afraid of God's judgment upon your sin? You should be. You should be afraid because God does not need a witness. He's been there the whole time. Right? You're not going to have a trial that you just wiggle your way through with a good lawyer. Right? God knows all things and we are all naked before him. As far as he has seen the whole picture, he knows the intent of the heart. And so we should be afraid of God as far as our judgments outside of Christ. But here's what God has done. He has said, you who were outsiders, you who were alienated from me, you who were filled with sin, before you were beautiful, I sent my son to save you. So that in front of God, in the blood of Christ covering us, We have nothing to fear anymore. Amen? 
And in fact, the Bible says that if God is for you, who can be against you? If God who created the universe is on your side now, he calls you a son or a daughter, what can you possibly be afraid of anymore? In fact, the Bible goes further to say, who can accuse you of anything because the one who could condemn you, his name is Jesus Christ, he is the rightful judge of all the earth, the one who could condemn you, what is he doing? He is pleading your case before God the Father. He is advocating for you, defending you, saying, give him, give him another chance. I will take the punishment. Tr- put the, the weight of his sin on me. So Jesus is advocating for us, and God calls us child. Do we have any reason to be afraid of God anymore in Christ? And the answer is no. And so why are we afraid of humans? Why are we afraid of Christians in the church? What, are we so afraid to let people see our real issues, see ourselves, see what's really going on, see our sin, that we remain isolated from one another and we're afraid to let everyone know what's going on? So the problem here is, if it is the case that God has saved you and wiped away all judgment from your future, we have even less reason to be afraid of each other in the church, and yet that fear keeps us from one another, doesn't it? That fear keeps us from being known intimately by others. And so we bring a facade into the church, just like everywhere else. We don't connect, right? Uh, We don't uh, really dig into the scriptures together because what if someone saw what was really going on? Would they pick up stones to stone me rather than picking me up and healing me? So this is the first challenge and the first lie that we have to deal with. The lie is that God, God's people are going to judge you. That's a lie. It's an internal lie. It's something that you bring to the table and something that's not true. I remember uh, when I was just getting into uh, the seminary, once again, the same era in my life, uh, an older seminarian asked me to go on a bike ride with him because we were working in the same church. He said, hey, let's hang out a little bit. And I remember feeling that same kind of shields up posture. And we went on this bike ride. I could just remember this feeling of his bike getting closer and closer to mine right? And I don't know, I hadn't ridden a bike in a while. I felt like he was going to knock me into traffic. And I just felt like, get away from me. And not only the physical proximity of the bike, but also because he was asking me really hard and personal questions. And it made me uncomfortable. And I I realized there was a tension there. Uh, But thank God, I, I ended up connecting deeply with this man. And guess what? He has become one of the, the greatest friends I've ever had in my life. And I realized that there was a breakthrough that had happened in my life when I started to trust the church, when I started to trust my brothers and sisters in Christ. But this was something I had to do. I had to believe. Um, if you went to LVR, Lutheran Valley Retreat in Colorado Springs, um, this is great camp place that you can go. And they have, this, they have these adult courses, uh, challenge courses, 
uh, that people can go and climb these big things with harnesses. And one of them is called the Leap of Faith. And um, it's this, I'll describe it to you. If you're scared of heights, close your eyes. But it's a big telephone pole, basically. It's a pole that goes about, I think it's about 35 feet in the air, straight up. And the goal is that you would climb this as pegs in it. You would climb up to the top. And when you get to the top, this is the fun part, you stand on the top of it. And from the top of it, you jump to a trapeze bar that is suspended on cables about like seven feet away or something. And when you climb it, you're like, this isn't so bad, this isn't so bad. And then when you get to the top, uh, you actually have to stand on it. You recognize there's about six inches of play in this thing at the top, and it's wobbly. And so it takes you a while to stand up wobbly on it, and then you just go for it. And so I get, brought you a picture of it. This is an actual picture from that thing. Look, you can't even see what she jumped from, right? But there's this leap of faith. And we are used to talking about the leap of faith in Christianity as you just have to trust God, right? You have to say, I am not in control, and I can't save myself, and I, I have to trust Jesus and not my own self-salvation project. You just have to leap to him. But I want to submit to you that there's another leap that you have to do, and that is you have to leap to confess your sins within the church. We say in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Christian Church, in the community of saints, and in the forgiveness of sins. This is an article of faith that you must hold in your heart. And one of the ways that you do that is you trust that God's Spirit is among His people and they're not going to stone you. In fact, they all feel the same way. They all feel like outsiders. But the truth is they're insiders because of what Christ has done. And if you give yourself in trust to those people in the church, you'll be surprised that the Holy Spirit brings you what you need, brings you the forgiveness of your sins, brings you consolation. In the book of James, it says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And so a very concrete question for you is, do you have anyone within the church that you trust enough to confess your real sins to. If you don't, you need to make that leap. You need to trust that God is going to give you the experience of grace and not judgment in the people of God. The people who are claimed by Christ are a holy people and they are a gift to you. To build you up. But one of the things that keeps you from being built up is your lack of trust. Trust that the people in the church got your back. They're not trying to out you. They're not trying to find you out and kick you out. They are God's holy people given to you for your good. The second question I have for you to contemplate uh, today is, do you accept that you are an essential part of God's holy people? So first, do you trust do you trust yourself to God's people? Uh, and second, do you accept that you are an essential part of God's people? You know, we've talked a lot about uh, essential workers in the last 
I don't, see, I don't think I ever want to hear that phrase again, quite honest, <laughs> since March or whatever. We've talked about essential workers. Some people are essential. They keep going to work. Some people are not. You've got to stay home, right? And in the church, the truth is there is no such thing as a non-essential worker. And this is where we'll get to um, our New Testament reading for today in Romans. Um, he describes the church as a body He describes the individuals in the church as uh, members of the body and individually members of one another. And so I think it's a really beautiful analogy. It's worth thinking about. Do you know how wonderfully your body is made? Do you know how amazingly you are put together? You have, you know, we have this lung system, right, brings oxygen into our body. We have the skeletal system, the muscular system, the digestive system, the cardiovascular system, and the nervous system, and they all showed up in your body at the same time, (laughs) and they're all generally, we're blessed, are working well. But if you lose any part of that, do you know about it? Yeah, I've heard stories of people who have uh, gone on expeditions up into the mountains, right, and they like climb an Everest or something and they get frostbite and they lose a toe or two and they'll tell you, if you lose your pinky toe, you will miss it. In other words, there is not one part of your body that is not absolutely vital, right? If you took away the functioning of your kidneys, you would know about it. If you took away just one of your bones, pick one, which one do you want to lose? You don't want to lose any of them because they're all essential parts of who you are. If you lost the functioning of your lungs or your nervous system, your brain stopped sending messages to your, your feet or something like that, you would know about that. Every single part of your body works in concert. And when one part doesn't work, the whole body knows about it. And this is his point. He says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And can you read this? Individually, members of one another. In other words, you, individual, have been gifted by God, by your natural talents, but also by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, Um, with a purpose for the sake of the body of Christ. And if you withhold that gift from the church, the church suffers. And so his encouragement is to know this reality. Uh, One of the things that I found really interesting about this passage is this is the passage where St. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? It's a really great saying that he says, because we're not to be like the rest of the world's thinking, but we're supposed to transform our mind by the gospel. And I've always thought about that in thinking it's about information, or it's thinking about, man, i got to start studying the Bible, which is great. But actually, he's not talking about knowledge here, like pure knowledge. He's talking about the way that we relate to each other in the church, You know, I read that for the first time I saw that connection. I said, ah, I missed that for like most of my life. But here's what he's saying. He says, to be transformed in your mind by the renewal of your mind looks like serving each other in the church. 
That's what it looks like to be transformed is to not think of yourself as an individual who is trying to get all the resources he can out of his church. To be transformed in your mind is to know that you are a part of the body of Christ. And that when you serve the church, you are building up the body and serving the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to have a transformed mind. And so he goes on to say, saying this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in a holy way. Now, a worldly mindset would look at this command or look at this, this idea uh, and say, you know what, I am responsible for about 95% of my life and success. I mean, sure, God helped me maybe 5%, but I'm responsible for my, my moral uprightness. I'm responsible for the career that I was able to hack out. I'm responsible for the status of my family. I'm responsible for all of this. 95% has been under my steam, right? That's the, the way of the world's thinking. And therefore, I'm free to do whatever I want with myself, with my money, with my life. But those who have transformed minds know the truth. Every single part of my body, my mind, is a gift. My moral uprightness as I've been shaped is a gift. Everything that I have been given in my life is a gift from God. And if it is a gift, I am to use it in the way that it was intended for. And in the church, the way that we are called to use our gift is for others. It's all a gift. It's all a grace. And so, as transformed people, we use it for the sake of the body of Christ. And he says, let us use them. And so, do you understand, do you believe that you are an essential part of the body of Christ? That if you are silent, if you just, if you shuffle into church, if you shuffle out of church, but you don't care about your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't care about what's going on in their life, you don't care to bring your gifts, your talents, your finances to their aid, that you are not being a holy person. You cannot be a holy person like that. But in Christ, you are a, a, a perfect part of God's body that you have been gifted by God for the sake of those people around you, that you have something that they need that they cannot produce on their own, and that you are called to give this in love to them, laying down your life, your agenda, for the sake of those who are in uh, the church that God has pulled you together. You know, one of the things that is, one of the worst things about the church, right, about any church, is there's always this sense that Everyone is just hoping that someone else steps up. <laughs> There's a few of you laughing. True or false? Everyone's just waiting for someone else to step up and do it. Just say, please spare me right, from whatever it is. And, and one of the difficulties is, okay, if that's the case, then sometimes we just have to fill positions and we're like, well, let's just find like, whoever's going to do it. Just get a warm body in there, whatever. And what happens? The church suffers, Right? The wrong people are in leadership. The wrong people are stepping up. The right people who have the talents, who have the gifts, are just not willing. They're, they're greedy. But they're going to hold all their gifts to themselves. And this is one of the, the travesties that's in the church. People of God should not be this way. 
Right? People of God should be looking for every opportunity. What has God gifted me with? I'm going to use it for the sake of those in the church. Um, I was doing a little yard work this weekend and playing some classic rock, you know. You got to do that. And I, this great song by uh, John Fogarty came on. Uh, it's called Center Field, but the chorus is, uh, Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. You know the song? It's a good one. Put me in, coach. <laughs> I'll spare you. But the point is, that's the attitude that we should have as Christians. We should say, put me in. Put me in, coach. You see a need. You don't need permission from me or any other. Just go and meet that need. Put me in, coach. Put me in. Let me, do me the honor of letting me use my gifts for the sake of the body of Christ. For the sake of those that have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. My brothers, my sisters in the church, let me pour out my life for them as Christ has poured out his life for us. And so that's the attitude that St. Paul gives to us. He says, hey, if you have a gift, use it, right? If you can prophesy, if you know how to teach people and, and preach the word of God, do it according to your faith. If you are a server, in the church, a servant, serve. Do it. If you have, if someone who's teaching, who's willing to teach others, by the way, we need some teachers, but if you're willing to do that, teach. If you have someone who encourages other people, uncork that. Go and encourage people. What are you waiting for? Use your encouragement for the sake of those around you. Help them to stand tall as God's people. If you're someone who has been given gifts of finances by God, Use it in generosity. It's a gift. If you're someone who leads, lead. Step up. Lead. You're a leader. Lead in the church. If you're someone who does acts of mercy, do it with joyfulness in your heart, knowing that you're serving the Lord Christ. And so whatever gifting that our God has given to you, the encouragement is use it for the sake of the body. How beautiful would our community and all churches be if every person was to do that, right? That would be a beautiful city on a hill. And so uh, as we are, are thinking about what it means to be called into this community, I want you to know that you are called into a holy community. You cannot be holy by yourself. You're called into the community to be holy. Second, that you need to take a leap of faith to trust your church, to trust those people that God has placed in your life, expecting that the Holy Spirit is going to work through them. And finally, that, that you are an essential part of God's body, that you are called to use your gifting for the sake of the body of Christ. And may it be so for your sake and for the sake of Jesus our Lord. Amen.